Hallelujah. I was looking at the qualities of a church elder. And so I pulled out some qualities that I thought were very significant and very fundamental in the way the church elder would minister their ministries, their dockets, their departments. The qualities of church eldership, church leadership, the qualities that I'm reading to you about church leadership, these qualities, however, you will always find that they overlap. They are the same qualities that appertain, that concern the pastor. Hallelujah. So, those qualities, given that the pastor stays here and he preaches to the congregation, in other words, doing impartation, I found out that if he's teaching those qualities, then those become the same qualities of the congregation. They will always take them. And I said, if those are the same qualities that run the life of the congregation, then I found out that those then must be the qualities of Christian salvation. The qualities of Christianity. And since Christianity, as we know it here, is salvation, then they become the qualities of Christian salvation. Right? But I found out also that Christian salvation today is being run by the Holy Spirit. So then they become the qualities of the Holy Spirit. Those are the qualities the Holy Spirit is imparting on the church. Hallelujah. They are now the qualities of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the one propelling Christian salvation. Propelling, moving Christian salvation. Directing it. And so, God's unconditional love. Hallelujah. That is the title we have today. God's unconditional love. And so, you cannot give what you have not. Hallelujah. You cannot. In other words, you cannot be a deliverer if you yourself have not yet been delivered. He's saying, that quality then has to be part of your fiber for you to be able to dispense it, to minister it. In other words, he's saying that God's unconditional love as a critical, a central quality of Christian salvation. And then now, the church that has it can now dispense it to the world, can then give it. Hallelujah. So, God's unconditional love as a central quality of Christian salvation. Meaning, the church has to have it and then give it to the dying world. Hallelujah. And I said, how can we know that we have it? How can you know you have God's unconditional love that you may give it? And I said, there are certain benchmarks, there are certain standards that God expects of the church if she is to dispense his unconditional love to the world. 
And he's saying that we cannot, we cannot know what type of unconditional love to give to the world except that we turn to the Bible. Meaning, the Bible is always the point of reference. Meaning, there are so many types of love today you can give to the world. But how sure are we that what we are giving is God's unconditional love? And he says, the Bible is always the point of reference. He says, when you look at the Bible and go to a place and try to look and say, I want to see where God dispensed forth his unconditional love to mankind. And then I want to use that as my standard. So when I'm giving love, unconditional love to the world, and I compare with what God has in the Bible, then I'm sure I am now giving God's unconditional love to the world not my own hallelujah that is the standard now when you go to the bible you will find certain scriptures in the bible that tower out very tall very high as the classical demonstration of god's unconditional love to mankind hallelujah he's saying that if you and i were to give a general scan a scan panoramic view if you took a panoramic view of the entire bible you'll see that certain scriptures do this look here a tower there a tower Another tower, tower, tower of the classical demonstration of God's unconditional love to humanity, to mankind. And he says, if we go into each one of these scriptures I'm talking about, the tower high, we will learn a thing or two about the type of God's unconditional love that the church today ought to minister. Hallelujah. Step by step. Now listen to this. And he says, when you and I go into the Bible, one of those classical scriptures, fundamental scriptures, monumental scriptures, if you will, that go a long way to demonstrate God's unconditional love. The way God gave it to humanity is the book of Luke chapter 23. I'm reading it now. Luke 23, verse 34. Luke 23, 34. Hallelujah. Another tower. The tower is very high in the Bible that demonstrates God's unconditional love for men. He says, Jesus said... Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they divided his clothes by casting lots. Let me read King James first. King James. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his garments and cast lots. Look at this now. This becomes the climax of the tower that presents God's unconditional love to humankind. 
to the church, to the world, to humanity. This is the climax now. Why? Get the picture here. I am going to develop for you the scenario. The scenario is this. He has been tortured. Abused. Look. The face. Mucus on the face. And I remember when the Lord showed me the crucifixion of Christ. He was carrying the cross. But they beat him with a chain until he fell down with the cross. It shocked me, Sana. It shocked me until today. It shocked me. It shocked me. And I've been weeping because that whole vision the Lord showed me always comes back. Live. When he was carrying the cross and they beat him so bad. Beat. They just beat. They beat. He fell down. It shocked me until today. He was torn. He was ripped. His flesh was ripped. He was spat on, abused, beaten, bleeding. It was too bloody. It was too bloody. What I saw, too bloody. It was like, you can imagine a murder scene when someone has been slaughtered there. And in the morning, you saw the way that person was struggling, the blood smearing. It was too bloody. And after that, he's hanging on the cross in pain. And they strip him naked. 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 And what made me weep here is the fact that when the Lord was showing me how the Christ was crucified, he shocked me because he covered him. When he was showing to me, he covered him. And then I understood it was so bad. Why? For my father to cover him, it must have been so bad. Like the way you see on the TV, on TV when they cover the face of a child, right? That's how he covered him. Boy, it really struck me until today. It must have been so bad. You understood? So, in the midst of that, for you to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I cannot understand. Right? Can I first develop the scenario around the place? Yes, this is what happened there. Number one, Christ was tortured. The cross is not a joke. Number two, Christ was nailed with a hammer on the cross. Look at this, somebody. Look at this now. On the cross, the people are there. Nail him that thug. If you don't kill him, we kill you people. And so, even the nailing, the long nails on the wood was done aloud. Tong, tong, tong. And people, wah, 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 shouting and celebrating. I want you to understand the circumstances under which he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You must understand the circumstances, and then you'll understand, wow, this is surely God's unconditional love. Did you understand me? The background is what will slash you. The nailing and people are shouting, crucify that thug. He's a liar. We thought he was going to be the king of Israel to save us. Finish that man. If you don't, we kill you. And it was nailed aloud. Aloud. Did you hear me? 
loud. The nailing was loud. Ah! Tongue, tongue, tongue for people to hear. And celebrate. Hey, 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 finish him. You can imagine what he went through, right? Let me just read through. Christ was hung on the cross. Christ was brutally bruised and injured. It was so bloody. Christ was absolutely humiliated beyond human comprehension. He suffered unimaginable pain. Can I repeat? Christ was fastened on the cross. He was hammered with nails and a hammer allowed on the cross. He was hanging on the cross. He was brutally bruised. It was so bloody. He was absolutely humiliated. Unimaginable pain. His flesh was ripped open. He was beaten silly. Until the ends of the hook, what I saw, what really struck me also, was the ends of the chain were like kind of hook, like but metal stronger. And they hammered his head. That's the part that really brought me down on the floor. Where now blood was flowing like this. But that is very shocking, right? It's very cruel. Christ was mocked. The crown of thorns was placed on his head, which was bleeding, so there was more bleeding that started flowing. It was to pierce and injure his head. So you king of the Jews and being mocked, right? Another thing he suffered is Mark chapter 15, verse 18. Mark 15, verse 18. Another thing he suffered. Now we are entering the towers now. These are the towers in the Bible that exemplify, demonstrate God's unconditional love. That within the background of such abuse, he can still say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This type of people. If it were you, would have just cast these people. So God can start afresh, right? Read uh, Mark 15, verse 18. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff. They struck him on the head as they said so. And spit on him. And spat on his face. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. Ah, what a mockery and ridicule. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. Terrible. Those are the circumstances under which he said, Father, forgive them. You understand? You that I know here sitting here, you would not forgive. They spat on him. They struck his head. He carried his own cross and he was beaten to the extent that he fell down with that cross. And I said he carried his own cross as far as he could. When he fell down, he was helped. Hmm? He was totally drained. They stabbed his side and ripped his flesh open. The sound of the hammers driving in the nails were heard so far as people jubilated. The shouts from the crowd, they were shouting, say, crucify him. That's just a little glimpse of what he went through. Tremendous pain and agony. And I said, if you really want to understand this tower, this tower that I'm now touching on, 
which is the demonstration, the classical demonstration. This is the pinnacle, by the way. This is the peak of the demonstration of God's unconditional love to mankind. And I said, on top of this, you need to read Psalm 22. And in Psalm 22, you hear him saying, Father, they have pinned, they have nailed my hands. Look, they have nailed my feet. And then he says also that the Messiah, his heart melted. The doctors, they will tell you in that condition, they will declare clinically dead. They sign the certificate. But that to me gives me a message. For me, it only tells me one thing. That the Messiah, however horrendous the wounds were, the Messiah did not die of these wounds. He died of a broken heart. Because said the heart melted away. Okay, the doctors will tell you that probably took so much fluid, it busted or whatever. They will describe clinical things there, right? I don't know what it is. But the bottom line is this. That he died of a broken heart. Because it says in Psalm 22, his heart melted away. He was so shocked that these people really hated him this much. And his own that he came to save could abuse him. It shocked him, Sana. And I said, to prove that he shocked him so much, about three or four times now when he has come to see me, look at what he has done. The first thing he has done when he comes out of the clouds is this. To prove that it really traumatized him. The first thing that he shows when he comes to talk to me, there was one November something, right? And then the lion. But look at this now. When the first thing he does is to show like this. So sometimes I wonder, why does he first show Especially these ones on the hands. Why? Could it be that he's telling me, now look, look what I did for you. You understand? Could it be that he's saying, look, look, go tell the church, how could they forget this? Could it be that he's saying that, look, look, this has now become part of my identity. So when I meet you, I identify myself like this. Could it be that he's saying, because up there, up in the cloud, could it be that he's saying that, look, up here in heaven, this is the only man-made thing in heaven. And the Bible says, they will ask him, but where did you get these wounds from? And say, ah, these, these, these wounds, huh? uh, the, these wounds, um, actually, I went to visit my friend down there. And then I got them in his house. It's a tremendous situation you don't want to deal with, right? It's unbelievable. Could it be that this is the only man-made thing in heaven? Made by men. Is that the reputation of men in heaven? Could it be that he's saying that, look, look, these are the only nail prints, nail prints, nail marks that fail to heal to death? I don't know. I remember when he came to call me also from, that was from which side? Yeah, it was this side. The door was like this, the bedroom door. And very much gentleman outside. He was not inside the bedroom. Outside at the door. But the left hand, if this is the door, that's how I knew it was the left hand. This is the door. This is the wall. This is the wall. This is the entrance. Then look, the left hand like this. On the wall. And the glory from the nail print. And then that's the first time I saw what is called the hem of his garment. From here. The design here 
is v-shaped like this god like that like this actually it goes this way and this way it's like not v but the triangle okay from here it, it goes like this like this and then there are shiny meadows here like this like this like this like this like embroidery on the hand now i'm showing you the secrets of the lord right that's why i said faithfulness then he can entrust you with the secrets of heaven hallelujah look at this now it is v-shaped here like this like this the design it is the garment but on top now embroidered another like this but shiny 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 metals put like this like this and then the hem of his garment is strings little nice fine strings of gold flowing like this here and at the end there is a very fine ball a golden ball a very fine so like this like this and there are so many like this we shake you you can see them doing this hallelujah and then he put like this but that time he was telling me i want you to be my hand on the earth that's what the voice said i want you to be my hand please go and then he put it here but the glory that consumed that part of the door oh unbelievable that entire zone with the glory you see that so he is always showing could it be that it traumatized him so much that the first thing he shows always is that saying that look until now i can never forget the abuse could it be that he's saying that when i look at myself the abuse i see the scars i see the wounds i see but where is the church for which i paid such a horrendous price could it be the message and in fact let me tell you the way he presented, I'm now even remembering more. The way he presented it from this side, I could see that as if it's wet or it's not healed. That I could see. Even though glorious, but as if not healed. Could it be that we may never understand the horrendous pain the Messiah paid until this day? Me, I don't know. Did you understand me? But anyhow, he goes on to say here, look at this now. There is this tremendous abuse. He has been struck on the head with metal bleeding. They have tortured him. They have ripped his side open. His flesh was ripped open with whips and all that. He's bleeding. It is too bloody. He has been nailed. Then on top of that physical pain and abuse, agony, humiliation, clothes removed, cast lots. Left naked. Naked. Why, my Lord? My Lord was left naked. Did you understand why I cry for him across every nation, across the globe? And I'll never stop until he comes. I'll keep working until he comes. He's in that condition of pain and agony and brutalized. Then he's hung between two thugs. Meaning he's one of the thugs. Can you imagine? Look now. Something ensues up there. The two thugs, one of them is hard-hearted, begins to blackmail him up there. I want you to understand, under what circumstances did the Messiah say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Under what circumstances? If you understand the circumstances, then you'll see God's unconditional love for the church. Did you understand me? Such that even you, as a church, when you begin to offer that love, you can never deviate from this axis, if you'll understand this. 
And he's saying, look at this what he's saying. Look at what he's saying right now. One thug is hard-hearted, representing the people on the earth who are hard-hearted. And there is a gospel that the thugs teach to the church. The thugs on the cross, on both sides, they are preaching to you, the church of Christ. One of them is hard-hearted, representing all the people that reject Christ and are hard-hearted. And the message is this, that even unto the point of death, they are not ready to soften their hearts. Because he refused, even at the point of agony. Do you understand? Even unto the deathbed, refused to soften their hearts. Say, ah, if you're king of, save yourself first. Why can't you save us? You understand? Then, there is another thug that represents another group of people on the earth. This other thug is soft-hearted. And because he's soft-hearted, look at what he does. The first thing he does, he owns up his sins. And that's always the genesis of repentance. When you reach a place where now you become convicted about your own sins, you own them. You have stepped out of denial. Even psychologists will tell you, once you acknowledge your condition and step out of denial, then you can find help. But in this case, he's saying, this thug owns up, he does this. Look, he tells the Messiah, he tells him, Lord, for us, look, we deserve what we are being subjected to. But for you, you don't deserve. Ah! Under what circumstances also can that thug say so? Up there in pain and hanging by the nail. By saying so, this thug rebuked the other one. This thug that says, no, for us, you, you don't deserve this. But for, which means he realized the sinlessness of the Messiah. God opened the eyes of this thug whose heart was softened to realize the sinlessness. Do you understand? This other one here realizes his sins and owns up the sins. And does what? By saying, for you, you don't deserve. He recognizes the sinlessness of the Messiah. Look at this now. Look at this now. He is on the cross suffering and is able to recognize that the Messiah is sinless. But the entire world that is free there does not see it. They are celebrating. Did you understand me? Ah. And I said, by so doing, he rebukes the other hard-hearted thug who is trying to accuse Jesus. By so saying, you, you don't deserve. He rebuked the other one. Can I continue? This soft-hearted thug, look at this now. Look at the condition now. On the cross like this, right? Helpless with them. He realized that Christ on the cross has just as much power as Christ on the throne. And he says, Lord, when you reach heaven, remember me. That thug preached to the church. He asked the church, you are free out there. You have not been nailed. How much you cannot see that Christ has just enough power to redeem you to eternity? A very unbelieving apostate church you see today. Let me repeat it. This thug, the soft-hearted thug, 
by asking, praying, by owning up the sins, meaning repentant. Then he says, Lord, please when you reach paradise, please remember me. The first thing you pick out is this. He realized that this helpless Christ, helpless on the cross, has just enough power as Christ on the throne to deliver a soul from hell to heaven. Have you understood the message being preached here? I said there are towers in the Bible. Because now this is the heart of the gospel. The cross. You understand? And you see the deeper revelation inside there. And he's saying that in so saying, another point, this thug realized that this Christ here, hanging on the cross, suffering with us here, by so doing, is opening a door to eternal life in this place. That's why he asked for paradise. Where were he did not look at him as weak and helpless. He said, wow, this suffering and helpless here, he is opening a big door to eternal life for humanity. Did you understand me? This thug here also realized the power of repentance. This thug here also preaches to the church of Christ of this day by saying it is never too late for a genuine repentance. Even at the deathbed. And he's preaching to the church, to this apostate church you see today in the world here. He's saying that it's never too late to observe a genuine repentance even at your deathbed. And enter. Ah, ah, ah. And he also underscores another point. You who have so much time roaming around the earth, you have the luxury of time, but he's saying the last minute repentance on your deathbed tends to be the genuine repentance. While you people, you have a lot of time, let me repeat it. He is teaching the fact that the last minute repentance. That one observes at their deathbed tends to be the most genuine repentance that just catapults them into the kingdom of God. Because for them, it is last second, last minute. You can even do it the same with people in hospital, by the way. But for you, you have so much time, you are loitering around. Ah, I'll repent tomorrow. I was lasting at that girl in church. Ah, me, I'll repent tomorrow. And tomorrow you forgot. Ah, I was busy. I didn't remember. You, you have time. You're going to hell. But for them, it is life and death. Do you understand the gospel? This tag is preaching to the church. I said this is a powerful tower, this one. The climax. And I am just developing the scenario under which he said, Father, forgive them. Are you together with me? Can I read more about this tag? The two thieves, I'm just going through points, my dictation. So if, how do people manage to do that? The king of glory. How do you do that? How do you really abuse it? Oui. How do you abuse the firstborn of heaven like that? Please. You understand? And then he said, the greatest thing that Christ died to procure for us is forgiveness of sin. Why? Because he says, Father, forgive them. 
Did you hear that? Did you hear what he said? Do what? Forgive. Meaning, he opened a big door for the forgiveness of sin within horrendous pain and abuse. Where he would have cast. Where he would have said, ah, forget it. And if he had so much power, if he had cast, the Bible would have been written differently. God would have started with another generation. He did it during the time of Noah. You understand? But let me explain to you why he talked about forgiveness. Look at me now. And I've told this story. Can I say it? When I came, I have seen the revival. I've seen cripples walk. In fact, I saw from the U.S. I saw the carpet. It was carpet. The first thing the Lord showed me was the red carpet. The meetings and the red carpet. So I kept asking people, why the carpet? Why? What is wrong? Why the carpet? Okay, the Lord also has to give you in bits because it can overwhelm you. It can crush you from there. If you avail everything, you cannot synthesize. Right? But he had to reveal bit by bit. It's amazing. You see the future. You see the cripples, the blind, the what. You see the massive meetings, right? And then you come to Kenya. And then you are subjected to some kind of abuse. Right? You understand? In fact, I reached a point I almost took. The, I had a flight ticket to return. But why? Why am I saying this? I'm saying this because the circumstances did not look good. You're suffering and you are rebuking money. Every day in the streets, lunch are big people. And you know, even if you have no following, the big names know you are a threat. They summoned me. Come quickly here. And it was big meeting, big names, eh? big names in this country. Eh? All the big bishops, the big names. And I was sitting on my side. It was now the Sanhedrin's, the other side. Eh? They said, so you say to us, and that time I am armed with the email of Asian Tsunami, November 24th, a month before it happened. That's the only weapon I have. And when they say, can you now tell us, because we are busy planning a national day of, of prayer, and the TBN says they're going to focus on Kenya this year, so please, can you tell us, we hear you are saying things down there. What is it? Then I stand up and I do this. What I say is this. And then everybody said, the tsunami prophet. <laughs> right? You understand? It was bad. Nobody's yielding. Nobody's coming. The here and now is bad. I was telling you the story when I was trying to eat in a house when they threw me out. Yeah, they said, ah, 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 ah. This is Christmas. And I was preaching to them and they were born again. But come Christmas, I see a big bottle of whiskey. So I was hurt. And then I planned to go. Then that night he showed me the dream now. My hands are full of blood and dripping. Meaning the road is clear. You just go. Go, let's see. Try, try and go. You just try and go. And I'll teach you something. I'll teach you a lasting lesson that whosoever will hear your story, their ears will tremble like this. You might even come back through the stomach of a fish for six months and then be vomited in Ghana and straight in jail for, for deportation first. He is still God. And by the way, he has done it before and he has remained God. Oh yes, which means he's capable of doing it again. So when the blood was dripping, that dream, when I was really planning to activate the ticket, right? To activate. And then he showed me the blood dripping. 
But what I'm saying is this. I did not stop going to that home again next weekend, Sunday, with my Bible in the armpit. I did not. Why? Because the thing is this. There is one person who must be enlightened. And the others are reasoning here. They are reasoning in the here and now. But for me, I have seen the gains of the kingdom, the revival, the big harvest. How do I stop? You understand? How the Messiah had to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Do you understand? Because they were abusing him here. They were torturing him here. But the Messiah had seen for the sake of the future gains of the kingdom of God. Let me forgive these people to leave the door of repentance open. Did you understand me? For the sake of the future gains of the kingdom. The reasoning now here, abusive what? But for me, I have seen the future gains. Like for me, I had seen the revival here. I saw from the US when I was here, it kept destroying me. But how are we going to reach there? So I had to maintain it. Be faithful because I have seen it. It will come to pass. But the Messiah had already seen the redemption of humanity. You understand? So look, everybody look here now. This hand is taller. And this one is here. They were reasoning here. The Messiah was more enlightened. So the enlightened person has to always endure for the sake of the future gains of the kingdom. Did you understand? And the Lord is using that to teach you a lesson, to teach you a sermon that even you as the church, you are the more enlightened. You might go to preach to somebody, they throw you out of the house, out of the matatu. It does not stop you from stopping that same matatu tomorrow, entering and preaching again. Because for you, you have seen the future gains. Let me just suffer this for the sake of the future gains of the kingdom of God. You understand? It cannot be different if you are walking the ways of God. That's why the Messiah could say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do under such circumstances. These people are focused on the here and now. But he has seen that if he gets angry and curses, the door is closed. You understand? And when the door is closed, who wins? The devil wins. Did you understand me? But when he says, let me forgive, then the door of repentance is open. And even those children not yet born can do what? Can one day enter. Are we together? Can I just read some dictation? If you see a point, you write it. Each of the thugs presents a very important narrative that the cross brings to the life of the present day church. The first one is a hardened heart even unto the end, implying that no amount of human suffering, pain, agony, problem can change the hearts of the wicked. And Daniel says that, and the wicked will continue to be what? Wicked. You can almost see Daniel. That's why I'm saying that has just come off the cuff. While the others are purifying, but the wicked will continue just, that's what he's talking about here. Even unto the end, and he said they will not have understanding, but the wise will have understanding. Right? You can now incorporate in Daniel there. Daniel chapter 12, I think is verse 9 and 10. One of the two. Hallelujah. 
So he's saying that however much you suffer, maybe you are going to a relative. A relative that abused you when you were young. Threw you out with your mother. You suffered horrendous. And now you are born again, you hear their suffering. He says, you should buy some things and go to them and say, guys, I just want to forgive you. And I brought you this and I want to lead you to the Lord. Because you are the more enlightened one. Let me just suffer this scorn for the sake of the future gains of the kingdom. The other thug had a soft heart. He was snatched from the fire. That's very powerful. I want to mention that now. So the thug that was soft hearted. He teaches a lesson. Because he is under this fire. There is a fire raging on here, right? The nails on the hand is holding your weight and the feet on the nails and you've been tortured and the axe is coming to cut the knees, right? You are suffering, you are being tortured. That's a fire. He was snatched from the fire by his act. And he was made into a monument of what genuine repentance can achieve. He became a monument. And when you say snatched from the fire, you just know the book of Zechariah comes in right there. You understand? Zechariah 13, 7. Zechariah 13 that says, I'll purify you like this. I'll purify you like this. I'll test you like this. Zechariah 13, 7 to 9, right? Hallelujah. It comes in right there. He was snatched from that fire. He was going to hell. But the Lord, because of his tender heart, you can call it penitent, repentant, right? The Lord snatched him from there and used him to build a huge monument of the power of repentance. And then we have also shared so much on the power of last minute repentance. So there's a lot of narrative in there, right? And you can feel it for yourself, right? I've already said them. That's very important. Zechariah, you can add there. Zechariah. And when you go to Zechariah, you can find other scriptures on purification. Can you move on now? And he says, Hallelujah. And he also talks about faith. He believed that Jesus was able to remove him from here into heaven. You understand? He acknowledged his sins, so he presents the importance of us owning up our sins to receive forgiveness. That's now genuine repentance. He talks about the fact that Humanity, mankind, should never forget the power of repentance, even unto the deathbed. He talks quite a bit, right? He talks about last minute repentance, what, what, but now this is another angle. He talks about the fact that however much you suffer, please never ever underrate the power of repentance, even unto your deathbed. You just repent. It will make the whole difference between hell and heaven. He confessed that he deserved the punishment, but Jesus was sinless. Which means he said that the Messiah is glorious. The Messiah is without sin. He is saying that the Messiah came in by Bitamir and left by Bitamir. You understand? Yeah. Bitamir, we symbolize the sinlessness of the Messiah. Your sinless life will bring you bitterness. But then, that bitterness within your sinless life will be a fragrance unto our God. And that's why you see they brought alloy and the same bitter. And look at how he died bitterly. And that bitterness is what brought the fragrance into the throne. 
He still believed that Jesus had power to deliver him into eternity. He said, Lord, remember me? That all these things I've said, Christ on the cross has just the same power as Christ on his throne, right? So precious people. And after all that suffering, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Meaning the Lord is telling me today to tell you that whenever you go to minister forth his unconditional love to the world, from heaven he wants to hear. He doesn't want a church which is offended all the time. I'm offended, offended, they offended me. I'm offended, I'm not going back there. Those people, these days you are getting too much offended, right? Yes, they offend me, whatever. You know this kind of fleshy church, eh? Offended, I'm offended, offended and the kingdom suffers. He's saying, he wants to see you dispense love. His unconditional love. And when he hears, he wants to hear, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then you get back to that home, still knocking the door on Sunday. Still knocking the door. And you enter, they say, uh, Pastor, come, come, come like this. <laughs> and then you are hearing plates, spoons eh? on plates. Eh? This, uh, you hear some noise. They call it nuance, whatever. You people know how to put it together, right? Some noise is going there or people at the table. You understand? And spoons and knives are happening on, on china plates. Eh? They're eating quickly. Say, Pastor, you know we're a humble family. And we rarely tell people things on their face. <laughs> now, you know we are eating there. And you have come now and you did not call us. And then you say, Pastor, come, come, come like this. We have guests. Push you out and say, please, I'll call you. Push the door. And he says, you still have to go back and say, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Yes, for the sake of the future gains of the kingdom, you have to go back and tell them, I forgive them. Hallelujah. Yes, and your scenario may be different. Maybe you are going to pray for the sick in the ward, and the doctor throws you out. Or the sick person shouting at you in the hospital, and then security throw you out of a ward. Next Sunday with the Bible in the armpit, you are still going there. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Hallelujah. He wants to hear that from you. Then when you do so, you are dispensing forth God's unconditional love to the world. The same one of the Bible. Now, we are now still on this matter. I'm just talking generic now, right? I go into a free space where I start to graze around. Free space, eh? To add some knowledge, right? <laughs> to beef up. I'm saying Romans 12 verse 9. Verse 9. Now we are mentioning some characteristics of God's unconditional love. He says, God's unconditional love must be sincere. Now he's mentioning the texture of that love. He's saying, must hate what is evil. So you cannot just say unconditional love and it's a free range. No, there are rules. Must cling to what is good. And let me just summarize it here, please. What I've synthesized for you here. I'm saying from that scripture... Number one, must have no hypocrisy. That means genuine. Number two, must be sincere. Number three, genuine. I'm just picking words that reflect it. 
Number four, must be transparent. Number five, no distortion. Number six, must confront the unavoidable issue of moral integrity. Unavoidable. Meaning you cannot avoid it. So as you're presenting God's unconditional love, we have to make sure our bearing is right. We must make sure that we put sin where sin is supposed to be. And we put righteousness where it's supposed to be. We cannot be mixed up. Meaning must confront this unavoidable. He says unavoidable. You cannot avoid when you're talking about God's unconditional love. The cross was holy. So must address the unavoidable issue of what? Of moral integrity. Hallelujah. And he says, cannot tolerate evil. Framework of moral good, we've said. And virtuous, which means unpurchasable. Hmm? Then first John chapter one verse six to seven. First John chapter one verses six to seven. First John chapter one verses six to seven. That's very powerful. And then Romans chapter twelve verse twenty is what I want to emphasize on. I want to emphasize that. Romans chapter twelve verse twenty. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him well. If he is thirsty, Give him something to drink. In doing so, you'll take a hot jiko which is lit up and placed on his head. You understand? That is the demonstration of God's unconditional love. Because he's saying that if you are preaching in a matatu and somebody is fed up with you, stands up, comes towards the back where you are, and pa! Hit your cheek. He's saying, stand up and tell him, uh uh, don't go like that. The Bible says you have to hit the other one also. <laughs> the gospel of God's unconditional love. The Bible says, if you hit, you give him the other one. But the problem, they will hit you until you fall, the next one, right? And then at that point, you've lost it, you have removed your shirt, you are now in the matatu. <laughs> that is God's unconditional love, he says. Give the other cheek. He's saying, if your enemy abuses you, and he says, ah, but I feel hungry, run. <laughs> run to a KFC <laughs> and get a basket of 21 pieces <laughs> and feed him well. And you know him, you sit and eat well, right? So the earth still have good people like you. I thought they were all gone. <laughs> but that's what the Bible says. Feed him well. If he eats and you hear him saying, <coughs> now it's the only thing I need is a drink right now. Run again. <laughs> and find a cold coke. And run. Don't worry how much you almost break your feet. And tell him, I brought the coke. He said, ah, you brought coke. I wanted juice, but that's okay. <laughs> Your enemy, nasty, is teaching you a lesson. And after that you go, you say, you know what? Father, forgive him, for he knows not what he does. He says, when you do so, when you do so, a big jiko of coal is crying and rolling on the carpet. What did I do today? We, 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 I hurt this person. You understand? They will cry almost to death. And they'll start to look for you. Why? Because 
This is meant to lead to conviction. It is meant to change the following. To change the attitude, the thinking, and moral alignment. Three things. It's not even a joke. You are laughing. It is meant to change three things. The attitude, the thinking, and the moral alignment. It is supposed to convict them to repent us. And they say, woi, 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 woi. I need to go and I treated somebody so badly. You understand? They will cry, which means you are burning them with coal on the head. Did you understand me? It's a very powerful thing to do. That's why the Lord said, love them. Okay? It's supposed to lead to repentance. Isn't that a very powerful thing to do? Oh, yes. Someone abuse you in the matatu or abuse you at work and you just give him something good. You bless him. You understand? That is God's unconditional love because Jesus was abused. We abused him and he forgave. Can you imagine that? He forgave. And he says if you want to dispense the same love, you have to show that. Tolerance. Focus on the future. This person will repent and enter. That's why the Messiah could say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's saying, he wants to see you dispense love. His unconditional love. And when he hears, he wants to hear, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He wants to hear that from you. Then when you do so, you are dispensing forth God's unconditional love to the world. The same one of the Bible. Hallelujah. If you know that this message has touched you, and you know that you are not right with the Lord, you are within the same bracket of those who have committed the sin so grievous, pornography, Lasting at women in the streets. The tight trousers that show their bodies in the church. Tight skirts that show their bodies in the church. Immoral dressing essentially. All these things I've talked about. Lukewarmness. If you know that this is you. Please. Repeat this prayer with me. Say dear Jesus. I repent today and reject sin. Lead me into righteousness. I receive you as Lord and Savior. Please protect me in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. If you have said that prayer Behold, a new day has begun with your life. The Bible says you become a new creation before the Lord. And begin reading the book of John. When you got the Bible, read the book of John. Begin with the chapters on the book of John. John chapter 1. Read the entire book of John. The message of salvation. And the Lord will help you. Walk in the Holy Spirit. Change your life. Throw out the things that constitute sin, contamination, pollution. 
yeast in your lives. Even as a pastor, it's time to clean up your gospel. Clean up your church. It does not matter whether they try to leave the church. Don't change the message. Continue to preach the message of the kingdom of God. The message of the blood and the cross. Shalom. Todaraba.